there is an incredible document that was made by Pope John Paul II. It was made about papal elections. It actually talks about the rules for elections and says that if violated, it nullifies the election of a pope who is not then pope, and there doesn't even have to be an announcement about it. That document exists. It's called Universi Dominici Gregis. Very few people would be willing to talk about that, especially in the current context. There is one person who would. Almost all of you, perhaps all of you, know him. His name is Patrick Coffin. He is the Patrick Coffin Show, a super popular show, and his moniker is We Go There. And boy, does he ever. You're going to want to stay tuned. Patrick Coffin, welcome to the program. John Henry, it's an honor to be with you, sir. Thanks for the invite. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So I recently had on the show Dr. Edmund Maza. Fascinating talk about his research into Pope Benedict's resignation. And I know that you've gone down that road. In fact, you did a show that was sort of a succinct version of seven reasons why Pope Francis might not be Pope. And uh, it was startling, startling in that you would go there. Um, and without trepidation, and I know you to be a very faithful Catholic. And this is the thing, with Dr. Mazza it was the same. Someone who's willing to live their life for the faith amidst the struggles that that takes, the hardship that it is, but they're doing so, as you do, out of love for Christ, love for his church, and a willingness to even sacrifice for it. So start us off. I know you've been on the show before, but for those who might know, give us, or might not know, give us the, sort of the 20-second version of who is Patrick Coffin. I'll, I'll begin after the tiny amoeba began all life on earth and uh, start with my entry into the United States. Uh, I was born and raised in Nova Scotia. I went to McGill University in Montreal, uh, uh, ended up at the University of Toronto and the Stratford Festival. Uh, but I found my, my true love, which is theology, after I uh, recommitted my life to Christ as a revert uh, as a young adult. I got a master's degree from Franciscan University of Steubenville, was recruited then to a film and TV company in Los Angeles and through, uh, I won't bore you with the whole uh, story, but cutting to the chase, I auditioned and got the job of host of Catholic Answers Live, which I did happily from 2009 to 2016, after which time I started my own podcast and membership site, uh, which you can find more about at coffinnation.com. And uh, every Tuesday, I get to, to drop the most amazing conversations with people that I call sages and survivors of the culture war. And these are people who have either been beaten down and shamed and banned and deleted, who have a, a voice that deserves to be heard, or they have some wisdom to distill about what's the DNA of our culture? What, what do we mean by the West or Western civilization? What's the US Constitution? What's the Canadian Bill of Rights? What's the, 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 what are the foundational building blocks of what we call culture? And how did it get broken? So that's the sweet spot of my show. Uh, to your question about 
the fear and trepidation, there was plenty of that when I began to see what was happening in Rome under Francis. And I have to credit you, John Henry. I remember you were way ahead of the curve on how deep the rot was um, at the Vatican after Pope Benedict left the public eye. And I remember reading some of your coverage at LifeSide News, and I remember kind of wincing, thinking, boy, that seems awfully harsh. Isn't there any good news? But you were on it like, uh, like a, a hound dog with, with uh, you know, a bird in, in the forest, and uh, then another one, then another one. And it all added up to confusion in my mind. It did not seem to compute with me that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher in history and imaginable, would will for his church one diabolical confusion after another. Everyone, everyone listening and watching right now has their own first domino where they thought, yeah, that's, that smells bad. For some people, it was the night of or the, the fact that the press made a big deal about his brown leather shoes instead of the, you know, I guess, sinful red leather shoes that Pope Benedict wore, paying his own bill, carrying his own luggage. Something didn't add up. And then we got Who Am I to Judge with respect to homosexuality. Then we got Amoris Laetitia chapter 8, which indeed provides a loophole for divorced and civilly remarried Catholics to receive Holy Communion. And as John Gravino has proven so well in his book, uh, Confronting the Pope of Suspicion, Amoris Laetitia is the official codification of 1960s and 70s era dissent, and almost all of it on matters sexual. Uh, the dissent that, that, that grew like weeds under Paul VI and was never really tamped down. Even the norms of humana vitae were never, uh, there was no disciplining of priests and prelates who, who uh, disagreed publicly with that teaching. And so where did it go? Well, when, when John Paul II took, took the, the chair of Peter in 1978, uh, it was a new sheriff. Uh, it was not the old sheriff, it was more uh, Will Kane, Gary Cooper, and uh, John Paul II um, suffered very few fools gladly, and a lot of the dissent either vanished, went away, or uh, in its own way, um, got sublimated and, and put into, this, into what I would call the shunt tracks of the church in things like seminary textbooks and so on. And then in 2015 and 2016, we had the synods on the family, and that's when Amoris Laetitia, the resulting apostolic exhortation arrived, especially section eight and the footnotes thereof. And by that time, I'd already realized there's something seriously wrong with the church. And we can't keep saying, why did God give us a bad pope? Well, you know, we Catholics are used to talking about our bad popes, whether Medici popes or Borgia popes. But this is not merely bad pope. A bad pope is a man who in his private life is a sinner, as we all are. Francis is a usurper. He has assaulted in a very deliberate way the deposit of faith, the things of sacred tradition, and has allied himself with all of the enemies of John Paul II and Benedict XVI, by the way. All the worldly powers, global acclaim, plaudits and cheers from the New York Times and CNN, all the legacy media love Francis in a similar inverse way to which they hated previous pontiffs. So here you have pontiffs, and John Paul II uh, reigned well into his 80s, who commanded the largest live event in human history at World Youth Day in Manila. So how is someone reviled by the New York Times and that cabal able to draw millions? I think it was 5 million people showed up that day in the Philippines. Beautiful. And yet Francis is revered by these worldly powers and hard left journalists. He's their cheerleader and their mentor and their model. And yet his crowds are tiny. I've had the unmerited privilege of, of meeting both John Paul II 
and Pope Benedict XVI, both in Rome, unforgettable encounters. And the crowds were jammed, sitting and standing room only. Whereas with Francis, it was, I won't say a trickle, I want to be accurate, but it wasn't anywhere near the uh, public um, unconscious love just to, to be with these great men of God and to listen. With Francis, it was more, um, let's just say modest. So the evidence that I collected, uh, at first, it drew my attention because of the things that really don't matter. And by the things that, that really don't matter, I mean the behavior of Francis and the focus on the St. Gallen Mafia and the March 13th conclave, which by the way, I think the evidence is clear. There were canonical crimes committed in that um, conclave that were identifiable in a very obvious way by Austin Ivory, author of this book. This is called The Great Reformer. Interesting subtitle, Francis and the Making of a Radical Pope. The making mm -hmm. of. Not the voting for a regular pope. No, the making of a radical pope. And he's not even called Pope Francis in the subtitle. This is a very hard to find original edition in English that came out uh, the year after Francis arrived. And it was immediately attacked by his former boss, Cormac Murphy O'Connor, the Cardinal Archbishop of London, saying the chapter on the conclave never happened, it must be excised. Well, guess which chapter I, I raced to when the book arrived in my mailbox. And that chapter, uh, I'm writing a book about this myself, by the way, and that chapter describes in a very casual way the very behavior that John Paul II punishes with excommunication in the document you referenced, University Dominici Gregis from uh, uh, 1996. Now, this is an apostolic constitution. It's not a motu proprio. It's not an interview given at 37,000 feet. This is the highest level of papal document, short of a dogmatic definition. This is a solemn uh, summary of the prescriptions and proscriptions of how future conclaves are to be conducted. Conclaves, the, the actual gathering of the cardinals to elect the pope. Gathering of the cardinals to elect the pope and the, the day of voting and so on. It all has to be uh, in accord with these prescriptions and proscriptions. And the reason I say this is that the thing that was the noisiest, the thing that got my attention, but not the most important, is that there's something mm -hmm. upstream from that. Let's get to that in a moment. Sure. I, I want to unpack you this there. because you, you did indeed. Um, just to go through your laundry list, I, I notice, you know, some of the things that cost, caught most people's attention. The Pachamama idolatry, uh, the the you know, Father James Martin promotion. I mean, it was, that was very plain. The whole Pope Francis himself talking about how civil unions are the way to go, hom meaning homosexual civil unions. All sorts of things that rattled, as you were saying, which domino is it that's going to con convert you to the other side or, or convince you that something is really, really amiss, much more so than mm -hmm. in other papacies. You were mentioning that some people didn't see early on. And it's true, on the day of the election, at the election, in fact, right when the Pope first comes out onto the balcony after the election, he brings with him those cardinals, the, the Carmelingo, yes, uh, but, but also those who are most important to him among the group of cardinals. In some people notice, we didn't catch it at LifeSight, we didn't watch the actual thing live, but noticed Cardinal Daniels were there. Godfrey yes. Daniels, who was horrifically anti-life, anti-family, known by people in the pro-life, pro-family movement as, you know, one of the dissident cardinals. Um, and yet he was there. Interestingly about Daniels, he 
is not only a pariah for the faithful who are pro-life and pro-family, even for those outside the realm of life and family who are concerned about sexual abuse, he's a massive offender. Tell us about that, if you will. Uh, Cardinal Daniels was caught on audio tape explaining to the sexual abuse victim who was the biological nephew of another Belgian archbishop who had abused his own biological nephew. Basically, it's the same script with these guys, John Henry. Uh, for the good of the church, uh, you have to forgive, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have a transcript because if I read those things, I lose my lunch. But it's the same shutting down of a legitimate hurting soul, a, a child, the one the one about whom our Lord warned about something about millstones and being cast into the sea. Here's a, a highest-ranking member of the church in uh, Antwerp, Belgium, basically telling the victim to shut up so he could protect his his brother bishop. And that's the beginning of a long list, but that's it's bad enough. So he was part of the photo op on the loggia that night, March 13, 2013, over Francis's left shoulder. And uh, this is clearly a, a reward. This is part of the uh, quid pro quo. I'll give you the, the moment in the, the where how many hundreds of millions of people are watching that, and it's a statement about his priorities, his agenda. You know, they say uh, personnel is policy. Well, so is photo op, uh, photo op, and photo optics. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Cardinal Daniels was then invited as a special appointee of Pope Francis to the first and second family synods. It went on and on. Cardinal Burke was, of course, sidelined in the most unbelievable way, as has happened to Cardinal Sarah, Cardinal Miller, and other cardinals who had been the stalwarts under both popes, uh, John Paul II and Benedict. So some unbelievable times we've been living through. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's an additional contrast here, since you're talking about the, the treatment of Cardinals Burke, Sarah, and, uh, and Muller all good men, and that is the protection of actual either pedophiles or predators like uh, Bishop Gustav Zanchetta from uh, Argentina, who is now going to jail or is in jail. Also the pedophile father um, Julio Grassi. Uh, these, are, these are criminals who identify strongly with the support that then Cardinal Bergoglio, now Francis, protected, uh, both in jail. So, you know, the, the phrase birds of a feather means something. I'm not saying he's a pedophile. Someone's going to say, oh, Patrick often claims that the Pope. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that over time you see a pattern of good men being fired or uh, ignored or sidelined and evil men being promoted, uh, promoted and uh, protected. That should mm -hmm. be of concern for people who are Catholic, Protestant, or atheist. You can see the pattern here. Yeah. So one of the comebacks, and, and just to play devil's advocate, look, we've had bad popes in the past. You mentioned the Borgia popes. They had relationships with bad actors. They promoted them because of financial gain or sexual who knows what or perhaps blackmail. Aren't we just reliving the same thing? Many people have said that. Many people have said, oh, we've gone through worse even in the past. Why not? Let me make an analogy with everyone's pastor. So if you're, if you're watching, listening to us now, think of your pastor. If you discovered that your pastor was having an affair with his housekeeper, you wouldn't necessarily conclude that his, his sermons on chastity were hypocritical. Maybe they were 
meant for him and he's not living up to his own ideals. So someone can be a sinner in private, living a kind of double life. But some of the Borgia popes were actually, although they had mistresses and they had even murders committed, uh, mafioso style, they were ironclad guardians of orthodoxy. So whether they were buying, buying hookers on, on Friday and having people killed on Saturday, by Sunday, the documents that they, that they wrote and produced and promulgated or the homilies that they gave were uh, faithful to the gospel, to the standard of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Francis is not doing. That standard is being undermined, usurped, attacked, contradicted almost every time he gets a chance to. There is some slight against um, uh, sacred tradition, and by slight, I, that's, that runs the gamut, all the way to suppressing the um, traditional Latin Mass, which according to Pope Pius XII, uh, Pius V, is, uh, is irreformable. So why would Francis deliberately target hot spots of Catholic orthodoxy, of evangelization, of large families, of generosity with fertility, while promoting, with handwritten letters, people like the, the, the highest-profile homosexualist in the Catholic Church, Father James Martin, who's now, uh, with the help of Martin Scorsese, uh, producing a documentary version of his book, Building a Bridge. How did these people get promoted with the Pope's own handwriting, but people who are faithful to Christ to the point of heroism are denied? Meanwhile, Katy Perry... Hollywood Romans like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, they get the red carpet treatment. But people like Cardinal Zen, the retired cardinal of uh, Hong Kong, they're out in the cold. Just, quite literally That's so. just a small, a small summary of the proof I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So we have this dire situation about, you might say, it from some respects, the worst pope ever in the history of the church. But you're going beyond that. You're saying that the very papacy itself is in question. And let's go back to the discussion that, I guess, first led you down this road about Universi Dominici Gregis, this document, this, as you said, apostolic constitution, highest teaching document in the church next to um, an ex-cathedra statement. So unpack that one for us, and what does it mean for the church? Well, it's a, it's a longish document. I did mention it in the first iteration of my evidence video. Um, and some people have said, hey, Patrick was confusing because he put it out of order. Uh, the, the, the reason I did that is that section 81, and I, you can put a link in your, in your show notes, uh, John Henry, um, sections 80, 81, 82 have to do with, I won't read it because it's, it's a little bit technical, but if people want to sit with it, they can find out that behaviors that are illegalized canonically by the late uh, John Paul II describe vote blocking, schmoozing, uh, creating uh, conspiratorial behavior, treating the papal office like a political office, uh, arranging quid pro quo deals behind the scenes, that sort of thing. This is the kind of behavior that Austin Ivory casually mentions in his book. Uh, the, the biography of Cardinal Daniels also mentions it. Uh, uh, Ted McCarrick, the molester, mentions this kind of behavior in his 19, excuse me, 2013 talk at Villanova University. Don't believe me, believe them. So these crimes, uh, canonical crimes, I mean, according to John Paul II, uh, have this attached to them. This is number 76. Should the election take place in a way other than that prescribed in the current constitution, or should the conditions laid down here not be observed, 
The election is for this very reason null and void, without any need for a declaration on the matter. Consequently, it confers no right on the one elected. You don't need to be a canon lawyer to understand that a man who's excommunicated cannot be pope. So that invalidates the papacy of Francis. The trouble with this piece of evidence, John Henry, although uh, I, I hold that it's valid, is that it mm -hmm. becomes difficult to establish in a canonical court forum because the cardinal electors who perform these uh, illegal acts would be part of the, the dynamism of adjudica adjudicating on it, sort of the fox mm -hmm. watching the hen, hen house. Mm -hmm. It's possible, but I think it's difficult to establish that. And it's also downstream from the first thing, which we maybe we'll get to. But that alone uh, invalidates the papacy of Francis. It means he's an antipope. Again, antipope does not mean antichrist. It doesn't even mean he's necessarily a bad man. Mm -hmm. Although I think if you can't see that Francis is a bad man, I'm not sure what to say. But even if he's a very good man, a holy man, a completely orthodox man, you can't be pope if someone else occupies the office of papacy. Mm -hmm. Those words again from paragraph paragraph 76. Could you read them one more time? Their, their significance is so stark, if you wouldn't mind reading them again. Sure. Should the election, meaning a, a, a future papal election, and remember, if mm -hmm. I can pause here, John Paul II knew all these cats. This, none of Their behavior in, in, as a, po a future possibility was not a surprise to him. He became pope in October 1978. In fact, he appointed some of these men with red hats. So this is, this is someone who is seasoned both in Romanita, in Vatican politics, but also uh, an, an astute reader of human nature in many ways. So here's, here's the uh, penalty. Should the election take place in a way other than that prescribed in the present constitution, or should the conditions laid down here not be observed? The election is for this very reason, null and void, without any need for a declaration on the matter. Consequently, it confers no right on the one elected, unquote. This is analogous to a decree of nullity for a marriage. It's not saying that there was a marriage that, that suddenly stopped being, but it was a putative, non-valid marriage from day one. Unbelievable. Please don't believe us. Please go. You can go online, look up Universi Dominici Gregis, paragraph 76, ace right there for you. So let's go on from there, because as you said, this is actually downstream from something else that takes precedence over it. What would that be? That would be the document that's only two paragraphs long that was written by, by his own account at his walnut desk by hand. And that's called the Declaratio, the resignation two-paragraph document that Pope Benedict XVI read on television on February 11, 2013. We're talking about a man not only fluent in Latin, but who lectured in Latin, who was fluent in the mother tongue of the church, which is Latin, the man who is the previous prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the guardian of Catholic Orthodoxy, the loyal lieutenant of, of uh, John Paul the Great, the man who had a hand in editing the 1983 Code of mm -hmm. Canon Law, which, which updated the Pio Benedictine Code from 1917. Pope Benedict is excessively, acutely familiar with every line of canon law with respect to papal abdications. And if you read Canon 332.2, again, don't believe me, you can find it at Vatican.va. 
Canon 332.2 does refer to the conditions uh, surrounding a valid renunciation of the papal office. Um, I can probably quote that to you. Do you want me to read that? Sure. It's quite short. Do. So let me give the before and after canons so I won't be accused of cherry picking. The context here is the section called, it's Article 1 in the code. It's called the Roman Pontiff as a subhead. Canon 331. The Bishop of the Roman Church, in whom continues the office given by the Lord uniquely to Peter, the first, the first of the apostles, and to be transmitted to his successors, is the head of the College of Bishops, the Vicar of Christ, and the pastor of the Universal Church on earth. By virtue of his office, he possesses supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary power in the church, which he's always able to exercise freely. Canon 332.1, we're getting close now. The Roman pontiff obtains full and supreme power in the church by his acceptance of legitimate election together with Episcopal consecration. Therefore, a person elected to the supreme, uh, the supreme pontificate who is marked with Episcopal character obtains this power from the moment of acceptance. If the person elected lacks Episcopal character, however, he is to be ordained a bishop immediately. This makes provision for the fact that you don't have to be a consecrated bishop to be pope. If you are named pope, you must be canonized, uh, excuse me, consecrated as bishop immediately. Okay, here's Canon 332.2. And by the way, I'm pausing on the words election and office because they are key. The office in this English translation in the original Latin is munus, M-U-N-U-S. Now, munus is a rich word. It doesn't just mean office. It also means gift. In this context, it refers to being the pope. It's the container of the papacy. Here it is. If it happens that the Roman pontiff resigns his office, it is required for validity that the resignation is made freely and properly manifested, but not that it's accepted by anyone. Let me just do the next one as well, because there's, hmm. there's a way to put a red bow on this here. Canon 333.1. By virtue of his office, the Roman pontiff not only possesses power over the universal church, but also obtains the primacy of ordinary power over all particular churches and groups of them. And it goes on. But I, I wanted to read the next canon because of its reference to office. That's the context of papal resignation. You can resign many things, elements of the papacy <clears throat> that have to do with, with a juridical authority, uh, writing magisterial documents, appointing cardinals, acting as the pope. That's covered by the word ministerium. Now, munus sometimes means ministerium. Ministerium does not ever mean munus. So that you can do a, a symbolic logic uh, Venn diagram on the linguistics of it. This helps explain why the evidence is very strong that Pope Benedict didn't make a mistake here. He deliberately resigned not the office, but the functions thereof. Think of a bowl of cherries. You dump out the cherries. What do you have left? The bowl. Just an empty bowl. He wears the white zucchetto, the skull cap. He wears the white papal cassock. He's called His Holiness. His personal signature is Benedict XVI, PP, which is a reference to it. There's several different Latin ways to understand that, but it's the official designation of the papacy. I want to I want to mention this amazing book. This was a huge red uh, uh, light bulb for me, and helped me uh, understand both the election problems, but also the declaratio. And that's 
uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, Pope Emeritus? Question mark by the Colombian attorney Estefania Acosta. It is an excellent book to get. I recommend anyone, skeptic or friend of this evidence, to uh, to read what she uh, what she collates in that book. Um, Francis does not use PP in his papal signature, so called. It's just Franciscus. Mm -hmm. Why didn't Francis, excuse me, why didn't Pope Benedict, upon retiring, do what he said he wanted to do in several public speeches, interviews, and books with Pete Sewald, which was retire to his beloved Bavaria and write theological tomes and pray? Why didn't he pick up a black or even a red cassock since he was a cardinal? Well, he told Andrea uh, Tornielli a year after he res uh, left public life that there were no black cassocks to be had, which I know you've been to Rome many times, as have I. Uh, uh, clerical stores are ubiquitous in Rome. That's not really an answer that, that coheres with reality. Why didn't he do that? Well, no, he stayed in the Mater Ecclesia, the mother of the church residence in the Vatican Gardens. Very, very, very close to the levers of power in the Vatican. Even Cardinal Pell has pointed out, this is confusing for the faithful. This mm -hmm. two popes idea, even our ideological enemies who run Netflix were quick to make a movie about this, the two popes. So that's, that's, a sm that's the beginning of a long list that's been compiled by the Italian uh, researcher and writer, Andrea Cionci, C-I-O-N-C-I, -I, I probably butchered his name. He's written the most about the Ratzinger Code. And I think that code, so consistent, so logical, if you have eyes to see over the last nine years, is the answer to the question or the, the controversy, was this a mistake that Benedict was making? And uh, this evidence is overwhelming, but no, he, he knows. He's created not an empty chair, but an impeded sea. So I like to think of it as Benedict wasn't outfoxed by the wolves. He outfoxed them by, created, by creating an impeded sea that they walked into knowing that he was no longer able by his advanced age, by his weakened physical condition, he, he just couldn't play the Johnny Weissmuller whack-a-mole. There's a reference for your older viewers. Um, whack-a-mole with all the modernists, all the homosexual, uh, homosexual agenda, all of the globalist, all the enemies of Christ in his church. He was too weak to do it. He was surrounded by enemies. Even in, in his beloved Germany, if you watch the footage of his first papal visit to Germany, it's very sad how they won't extend their hands to greet their German Pope. So what he did was he set the world's largest trap for the enemies of Christ in his church to step into because he knew eventually these clues would be found out and they would have walked into a trap, meaning all of it, all of the papal acts of Francis will be declared officially null and void. That in a nutshell is the kill shot. And in the original video that I made, it's, uh, it's piece of evidence number two. Okay, obviously for Catholics who are faithful, that is like a dream. That would be the best possible outcome of the insanity of the last nine years. It would in a way be the simplest explanation. But there's a problem with the thesis, or perhaps not with the thesis, but with its unfolding in how do we ever get back? Because... We've got a College of Cardinals that's mostly appointed by Francis. Uh, we've got a, a church in disarray where even the best, if you might say, of the, of the Cardinals don't appreciate this position. I've known, I've talked to some of them who don't agree with this at all. How, 
what are we supposed to do with that? Except that it's a fact that the evidence is uh, not only clear and, and sufficient for one to come to a morally certain judgment, but also that it's so world-rocking, it's so foreign to anyone Anyone living has never undergone anything like this, even though we've had 30-plus antipopes in history. Uh, so the idea, it's, it, not only it's, is it foreign and kind of scary at first, it seems to open up the ground into an abyss of nothingness beneath our feet. What, are you a sedive contest? Are you crazy? Did Christ leave us orphans? Um, I'm familiar with the people who are not quite there yet with this. I respect them immensely. I, I'm not here to convert anyone. It's to continually go back and review why this evidence uniquely and immediately makes sense of all of it. There's no canon, there's no document in the magisterium of the Catholic Church that says that lay people are supposed to stay mum and let this monstrous um, machine of corruption continue to bulldoze Christ and his bride. An unlettered woman, unlettered, uneducated laywoman, was right and one of the greatest saints in the Catholic Church, the great Dominican Saint Vincent Ferrer, was wrong on the question of the Avignon papacy. Saint Catherine of Siena was urging people to follow the true pope, which is Urban VI. Uh, Saint Vincent Ferrer got it wrong, and he had to repent because he was saying the wrong man's name in the Te Igitur of the Holy Mass. So it doesn't matter what office you hold, and we don't have to wait for some future pope or conclave to, or not conclave, a synod or council, to, um, to, to, ma to manifest that, that this is true. They have to definitively, definitively uh, judge on the matter. That's not my job. That's above my pay grade and yours. However, you can come to a certainty about the truth of the Declaratio. And once, you, once the light bulb goes off, you stop hand-wringing about Francis. I have dear friends. I'm worried that they're going to break their wrist bones or something. All the, the hand-wringing about what Francis has done, what his, plan, what his plans are, the fact that he doesn't speak up against heresy, and uh, all of the isms, all the agenda that are uh, completely anti-Christ in nature. Well, my, my reply to that is, what do you expect? He's just behaving the way you'd, you'd anticipate an antipope to, to, uh, to act. And if it's not if it's not a legitimate papal act, that means his cardinal appointments are not valid. That's one of the things that flows from this. So the, the goal here, and I could speak of a three-pronged goal that I have, one is to continue to educate the Catholic lady and to draw attention at this evidence. Number two is to continue to connect priests that I know, whose names you might recognize, who actually agree with it who now have a conscience problem because when they pronounce the words Francis, our Pope, and whoever, our Bishop, in the, in the, in the Mass, they have a, a problem because they don't believe it's true. And the old commercial used to say, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Well, friends don't let friends lie in public either. The day that such a priest would come out and say, I can't pronounce these words, is probably the day that he'll, he'll have his faculties suspended by his local ordinary. And that will also draw an abundance of attention at the evidence itself. The final, you could say the final, the third prong of this approach is to get this evidence to the cardinals whose job it is to adjudicate and settle this definitively. And that is the cardinals that were appointed by John Paul II and Benedict XVI. The 80 plus that Francis have given us are the result of an invalid anti-pope's actions. They don't count. Hmm. Wow. Well, let me get to this because this is 
obviously hugely controversial. We had on Dr. Edmund Maza, who of course gave us some of this evidence as well. But there are some very, very confusing parts. And um, I'll, I'll throw one at you. So you will notice that Pope Benedict has several times now, I remember very distinctly the one at his birthday, but has praised Pope Francis in, in ways that almost seemed like he was idolizing him, being so thankful. And at these public occasions where we really don't hear from Pope Benedict anymore, but all of a sudden he speaks, and it's to speak in this way, kind of like, oh, extolling Pope Francis and so on and so forth. What is that supposed to mean? Especially if, as you suggest, he has this other agenda. He, he, he's, he's actually trying to do the right thing here and somehow demonstrate that this is a falsehood. So how are we to make sense of that? I think it's very important on this point, which is, I'm, gl I'm glad you brought, you brought it up, John Henry, to go back to the text of what he said and to realize that everything that Pope Benedict XVI said goes through at least one and usually two filters. The uh, interpretation or the memory of uh, Archbishop Georg Ganschwein, his longtime personal secretary, or Peter Sewell, the journalist who has interviewed him in many uh, Q&A format books, or uh, the Vatican News pr the Press Office. I'm not automatically saying these are deceptive men or that uh, they're not telling the truth, but uh, as they say in, in scripture studies, we don't necessarily have the ipsissima verba of the man himself. I noticed a lot of the photos that they, that they release of Pope Benedict. It's almost like they're, they're doing a Joe Rogan on him. Remember the photos that they, they kind of made Joe Rogan look sick because he was uh, pro-ivermectin? Uh, some of them, he looks almost corpse-like, very kind of strange, unflattering photos. And I, I think to myself, why are they doing this to him? Why, why this sort of public humiliation? And I think uh, Pope Benedict XVI is a Christian. I had the, the unmerited grace of meeting him, spending some time, not long, but it was enough to get a sense of this man's interior peace, his serenity. He was tired the day that I, I spoke with him, introduced him to my late father, Jack, uh, after which my poor dad sobbed for an hour. He just was so overwhelming meeting the Vicar of Christ. I think he's walking a line that involves mental reservation, where he's not deceiving the universal church. What he's doing is saying things that are, are true as far as they go. And he doesn't want to disclose everything because he's still in the middle of this impeded sea. Patrick, if you could explain for us, what do you mean by an impeded sea? Uh, an impeded sea is a, uh, um, uh, a situation of ecclesial life in which the papacy is not public. It's not exercised. It is, uh, it's born by the person of the Pope, but in a, in a hidden way that's not public, such that the anti-Pope anti who succeeds the true Pope uh, in an impeded sea is doing so under a non-canonical status, so that his so-called pontifical acts are null and void. And beyond that, it's speculation. I don't want to get over my skis, and, and I try to carefully distinguish between what I think is going on in this particular situation and what I can prove using black and white quotes that are either on video or from someone's literal hand. When it comes to the, the remarks that Francis has, uh, fr uh, Benedict has made about Francis, that's harder to discern. Um, one counterexample might be Pope Benedict's 
deciding to not validate or or endorse the summary um, books written by Francis. Remember that a few years ago, um, Monsignor Dario Vigano, no relation to Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, mm-hmm. infamously blurred out the part where Pope Benedict, Benedict says, nah, no thanks. That was a scandal. That was an open lie uh, for which he was removed, but then promoted later. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's clear cut that that uh, Pope let's, Benedict let's unpack that a little bit because I, uh, while I remember it very clearly, I think mm-hmm. our audience would appreciate hearing that specifically once again. Uh, several years ago, the the man who was appointed to run the Vatican press office, his name is Monsignor Dario Vigano. It's a different family from the the American former papal nuncio. Uh, they were trying to get the endorsement of of. Uh, Pope Emeritus, which is an anti-canonical term with no precedent. And by the way, the word emeritus means he who has who who merits the office doesn't just mean retired or ex. He's not called the ex-pope. Although Google, this is another thing that Andrea Cianci has pointed out, Google have modified their search. Now he's the ex-pope. But that's another another talk for another wow. day. They were trying to enlist the good name and reputation of Pope Benedict XVI to endorse a series of books. Uh, containing the theology of Francis, for lack of a better phrase. Pope Benedict wrote a handwritten, thank you very much. I'm quite busy with my writing projects, etc. I I gently decline. God bless. Well, much was made of that uh, as though Benedict was still in a sort of way lending his moral authority to get rubber stamp these books that contain the theology of Francis. Now, Benedict is a renowned biblical scholar. There's no way he could endorse the, the, the uh, I, I just call it uh, Franciscan word salad that, that Francis produces. Literally, when he speaks to him, when he writes, I have no idea what he's saying. I literally do not know what this man believes. So that's an attempt to, to kind of uh, enlist him to sell books on Francis, and he, he gently declined. So that's, that would be a counterexample to the presupposition here or the claim that, uh, that Benedict is just full of uh, peons of praise for the, for you know, the great Oz, yeah. um, who was the, and to get the other Back half. to your specific example of what happened, when they showed the photos of the letters uh, from Benedict, uh, so-called endorsing the book, they, they um, actually blurred out uh, the portion where he says, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And uh, and then that, of course, got caught in our, our great world of uh, social media and people paying attention, at least some attention. They noticed, hey, <laughs> exactly. something's wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, and that was a big scandal for which yeah. uh, Dario Vigano uh, was uh, removed from office. And then, as you said, uh, appointed later on uh, to another higher post. John Henry, that's sort of like you, you see a movie poster and, it, and the, a movie critic says, quote, dot, 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 a great movie. So you go see it and it's awful. And then uh, you want your money back, and then you go back to the review itself, and it says such and such is not a great movie. Just the, blur, out, <laughs> yeah. blur out the not part. Unbelievable. Okay, so this is still a hugely hard pill to swallow because it, it's it's so. Uh, I mean, it makes sense of a lot of the actual happenings. But to think that there is sort of this game being played out with Benedict at his super advanced age and frailty. Wow. Where does this make you go in your thoughts about the church currently? 
gratitude for this great man who gave his life for Jesus Christ as a priest, gratitude for the kind of courage that he mustered in doing this. I do not regard him as a, as a liar or a coward. I think he is a, um, a weakened king who had no support when he needed it most. He referred to his enemies in his very first homily, mid-April 2005, pray that I might not f uh, flee out of fear of the wolves. He was a man who knew his own, does know his own frailty. Um, and he mentions in that declaratio that he is letting go of um, the words and the deeds, but not the prayer and the suffering. He mentions four characteristics of what he's doing, words and deeds, but also prayer and suffering. As he said, he has not left the crucified Lord, but rather is participating in his redemptive sacrifice as, as a, as a co-redeemer, so to speak, suffering so close to one of the, uh, for my money, the worst papacy or pretend papacy in history, uh, suffering, how that man must be suffering, how he must do daily, um, you know, face palms. We'll never know. He's kind of, um, perhaps prisoner of the Vatican is an overstatement, but he's, um, he's not free to, to speak his mind fully. Remember when, when Daniels that you mentioned earlier, uh, said in an interview that uh, he sort of chortled that the St. Gallen Mafia were sort of a mafia club. That was kind of true and jokey, but maybe not kind of true. There's, there are reasons why Archbishop Vigano is in hiding. There's some remorseless people who are a, a part of this Vatican under Francis, the globalist. And uh, they don't want voices of dissent. They don't want heroic witnesses to, to Jesus Christ. The, witness, the enemies of Christ have never wanted Christian voices out there. So they are banned, they are uh, shunted away, they are silenced rather than debated directly. And so I regard Pope Benedict as a man who did the very best thing that he could in a way that was missed at first. And it's not just that he did not resign the munis, the office of the papacy, which he was required to do under Canon 332.2. It's that there are other Latin declension um, uh, errors in the text. This is something that um, Cianci and, and Brother Alexis Bonolio have pointed out as well. Absolutely impossible, given the great and detailed knowledge of Latin that Pope Benedict has and had. So I believe that he, he set a kind of trap for his enemies that he knew would over time eventually be, be exposed. And with it, all of the last nine years, or how many years the Lord in his providence has for, for Pope Benedict, it will all be disclosed as an impeded sea, and therefore the acts of Francis are null and void. Now, I don't believe this, John Henry, just because it seems to fit. It's like my wish list scenario. I'm doing this for the sake of the truth and the good of the church. I want to be corrected. My magic words as a Catholic are, Patrick, here's where you're going wrong. And so far, no one has said that in a way that that lays much of a glove on the evidence. That's why I have I have serenity about this. I I, I pray for Francis that he convert, that he um, go to our Lord Jesus Christ in his exit interview, um, in a way that he'll eventually see the beatific vision. I have no ill will. I I don't have uh, um, bad thoughts in that way. I do feel terrible, however, at the great damage that he's done to the church, not just reputation wise, to the children who will die of abortion because he refuses to to make this the the heart of his papacy. I feel terrible for the victims of all the globalism, the zero population people, the uh, profiteers of big pharma that have been directly helped by Francis calling the clot shot, the experimental mRNA vaccine 
uh, euphemism, injection, a moral obligation. Calling that mm -hmm. an act of love is a huge tell that we're not dealing with the Vicar of Christ here. By the way, Vicar of Christ is officially removed from the Annuario, a yearbook of the Vatican. He does not want to be called Vicar of Christ. He hasn't from the night he was um, uh, uh, revealed on that loggia in St. Peter's. He said hmm. something like the world, uh, the, the church had to go to the ends of the world to find a bishop for Rome. Mm -hmm. That's either Unbelievable. false humility or, or deliberate confusion. So, John Henry, if I may, since I ask mm -hmm. Christians for a living, how would you flesh out your... What's the what's the hardest reddest part of the hard red pill for you? Hmm. Well, in a way, the damage that Benedict caused, even if this scenario is the true scenario, there is massive damage that flows from this. And perhaps you can say there was greater damage that was going to come, whatever. I, it's hard to, that's hard to imagine. The, the damage, because while some people might see this, it's the minority of minorities. So for the vast majority, even over the last nine years, they have lived, and some died, with that as the new normal. And some have, uh, and I hate to say this, but have converted to this deformation, in, perhaps in good conscience, God willing not, but I know there have been. I've watched um, as we've seen that happen to good people. For me, that, that really is the hardest part. I know that you know that there's no correlation between truth and majorities. Mm -hmm. um, w do you believe that um, damage was done under Pope Paul VI? Yes, indeed. Do you, do, would you regard him as a saint? How about put it this way? Wasn't he declared such by Pope Francis? That's right. He was. Under this evidence, under this evidence, he ain't under this evidence is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we could do a whole show. I mean, I, I, it got a little bit awkward when I was still at Catholic Answers Live. I'm not going to re reveal any priest's names, but I had priests after uh, Francis came to Rome who said, please don't let, don't make me uh, talk about Paul VI. Uh, abs and this is the, the point, this, at, at, at this point, he was considered, um, he was going from venerable to uh to blessed Paul VI. So there was already rumblings among traditional-minded uh, Catholic priests saying, please, I don't need to speak with this. This is not going to go anywhere. This is a non-starter. Well, he was raised to the, uh, to the Franciscan altars. Hmm. Um, a man whose last encyclical was Humana Vitae, written 10 years before he finally died, who witnessed tens of thousands of priests and nuns fleeing their vows. No priest or bishop was ever disciplined for dissenting from Humana Vitae. Uh, no one that, it, it even got mass. worse than that. If you recall, uh, one of the bishops who tried to discipline a priest for going against Humanavite got basically spanked by the Vatican. So that, you know, it was even the opposite of, of what you were saying. Just 
crazy stuff. Right. The Winnipeg statement from the Canadian bishops was um, was not opposed in any way by Francis, which allowed a, a huge loophole. I talk about this in my in my book, the contraception deception. I don't know why I remember certain things. It's it's section one twenty six of the Winnipeg statement. Basically, it's a truck size hole. If you follow your good conscience and you try your best, then you you contracept in good conscience. Uh, just a yeah, not taken up by Paul the sixth at all. Correct, correct. Uh, no one no one was clamoring for the destruction of the traditional Latin Mass. That was a top-down oligarchic decision to install the Novus Ordo Missae in 1969 and 70. No one was clamoring for com uh, communion in the hand. In fact, the Council Fathers voted in this. I think the context was Sacrosanctum Concilium, the sacred document on the liturgy, and 80% uh, said, no way, we can't give Holy Communion in the, in the, in the hand, and so on. So that would be another example of... Uh, uh, an invalid papal act of Francis that I don't regard as authoritative. So to me, it's it's an it's a non-issue. Um, I'm with you on the confusion, which is why I continually talk about this. Why I'm writing a book about this. I don't want to just sit and twiddle my thumbs and, and hope for the best. I do want to provide the counter narrative that I believe is faithful to the gospel and to the witness of Benedict the Sixteenth. And I'll let I'll let the good Lord in His providence sort out um, uh, losses and gains and and damage done. Um, I, I have no way of knowing what that equation really looks like in, in, in the light of providence. Hmm. Final question for you, Patrick. Your own faith life. Um, are you seeing it as negatively impacted by this? When I was first uncovering it all, especially going through um, the St. Gallen Mafia uh, nefarious acts and their their schemes. When it first entered my mind, maybe he's an anti-pope. My first thought, frankly, was fear. I was it scared me because I I had never read uh, Estefania Costa's book. I wasn't uh, exposed to the evidence about the Declaratio, and there was a kind of shudder went through me. A sort of no way. And my first thought was millions of souls scandalized, faith lost. There's no real pope. Now what? But um, discovering that we do have a pope, that we don't have an empty chair, we have an impeded sea, exquisitely, one might say, elegant designed, elegantly designed, as was his want and other, and other things, by uh, Pope Benedict XVI. My faith in Christ and his church is stronger. I see the hand of God's protecting um, providence not leaving me an orphan or nor you an orphan. We've been through 30-plus antipopes in history, and sometimes there were two or three vying for that title as in real time. So this is a lot more clear-cut than even past controversies that had to do with antipopes. So, you know, there's nothing new under the Catholic sun. This is not our first rodeo. We will get through this. There are people, very intelligent people, who are coming to see it, people who, when, uh, when they do go public, the, the momentum around the world is going to gather and this is going to be something that the popes, excuse me, the cardinals appointed by Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict will meet in what's called an imperfect synod or an imperfect council, such as was done in the mid-11th century at the Council of Sutri. You can look that up. It's a very interesting uh, way the Church has settled this definitively. Um, in the meantime, uh, John Henry and your viewers, uh, Jesus Christ came to take away our sins, not our minds. We're supposed to use our mental muscles and figure this out we have access to Logos, and Logos is always rising. It's intelligible, and here, it's hiding in plain sight. Wow. 
Patrick Coffin, thank you so much for being with us on the John Henry Weston Show. Thanks for your time, John Henry. God bless you. Keep up the great work. God bless you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time.